Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 94. I don't know about you, but the days and weeks between the July 4th holiday and Labor Day weekend are pure summer for me. It's a time to slow down the pace, be with friends and family, and just have more fun. And given that the July 4th weekend just passed, it's time to have some summer fun. Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. And as you know, a new month means a new intention. And this month in July, our intention is fun play, and our health. Now, there are so many reasons that fun and play are good for our health, and we're going to explore these reasons this month on the podcast. To kick off this exploration, today I'm joined by Dr. Trish Phillips, also known as the Doodle Doc. Dr. Trish is a clinical psychologist who has been in private practice for over two decades. She specializes in developmental trauma, attachment wounds, and dissociation. Her unique approach involves helping people to reconnect with their inner child and their inner world through creativity, art, and yes, doodles. Dr. Trish also has advanced training in interpersonal neurobiology, dissociative disorders, and mindfulness, through which she blends Western and Eastern systems of healing for her patient. Dr. Trish also has advanced training in interpersonal neurobiology, dissociative disorders, and mindfulness, through which she blends Western and Eastern systems of healing for her patients. In our conversation, Dr. Trish explains what inner child work is and why it's important. We also discuss how play is central to inner child work, the difference between play and fun, and how our attachment styles affect our ability to access our inner child. Dr. Trish also gives us some simple ways to begin exploring play and fun using creativity and art, allowing us to express without words. You know, I learned so much about inner child work and how it can help us connect not just to ourselves, but to others as well. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Trish Phillips about play and inner child work as we explore the connection between fun, play, and our health. Well, Dr. Trish, it is so wonderful to meet you this morning. I'm so excited to talk to you. I have spent all morning researching and reading about your work, and I'm so fascinated about your work with doodling and inner child work and trauma. We have so much to talk about. So thank you so much for joining me this morning. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I'm so honored to be here. And as you asked me, I went and then I peeked on your site and was able to see that we actually have so much in common. I love the combination, the intersection of Eastern and Western and adding mindfulness and body awareness to all of my work. And that comes out through the doodles. 
um, as I'm certain that you saw. Yeah, amazing. It's going to be so fun to talk about this. And so, so many questions, but let's start with how did you get interested in psychology and become a therapist? I find that it's so interesting to hear our journeys as health professionals. It gives so much context to the work that we do in the world. So how did you get started in this field? Yeah. So I too believe that we're always led to where we're going and we don't always know it at the time. But when I was a child, my best girlfriends, I was probably eight years old. Their father committed suicide. Now I'm 60 years old. So at that time, suicide was not a word that was heard. I mean, I hadn't heard of it and I probably did not hear the word again until in my 20s. And I just remember talking to my parents about it. And and really the only explanation I was given was that their dad's no longer with us. And I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that my friends had changed. And especially the younger one had so much anger within her. And I saw the way that her family had treated her and just was almost with kid gloves and would stand back. And I, I had this feeling inside that she really needed someone there. And so I would go towards the feelings. And I felt that was just from my heart what was needed in that moment that she was alone in whatever she was feeling. And so whether that was my eight-year-old self knowing what was to do or not, it was my instinct. And as life went on and my journey went on, I found that I had a tumultuous adolescence that led me into recovery at an early age. And I helped a lot of people in 12-step in my 20s. And then when I met my husband, I was in aerospace and I was doing a lot of data programming work. And he, he just asked me one day, he's like, why, why do you do this when you help so many people outside? He's like, you should be, you know, a therapist. And I said, you know, I've always thought that I wanted to, but, and so I just started going back to school and really found my calling with developmental trauma dissociative disorders. And in that is the inner child. Right. Right. And so did you start working with inner child sort of work? Did you start doing that very early on in your training or was that something you came to later? I really was something that I started right away because a lot of the symptoms of deep inner childhood trauma present as depression, anxiety, addictions, relational issues. So those could be the surface problems that present. And when we really started working on it, we we found the deep hurt that was down below. And we started working on those core issues. Got it. And so so my question then is, you know, why do you think inner child work is so important? I know this is like a very big question, you know, and we'll go to what is inner child work. The reason I'm asking this is because I have this conversation with a lot of people, you know, whether they're clients or students or other health professionals, or even my son who is right now finishing his master's in psychology, right? We've had discussions about inner child work. And I think 
there's so much mixed, there's a mixed emotion around it of like, oh, inner child work doesn't work. Why do I need to go back to my childhood traumas? And then there's the other camp of like, it is the most transformative thing. So let's, maybe let's talk there because I think it would be really helpful to the listeners to really understand the perspective of someone who's been, you know, working in this field for so many years. You know, what, what is inner child work? Why is it so important? Let's just, let's start there. Yeah. So first off, congratulations to your son. That's so exciting. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I'm very excited for him. Yes. We need more, actually, male therapists. So I'm very excited about that too. And young therapists. And for inner child work, I, I like to look at it as no child comes out of childhood unscathed, even with parents who are very attentive very caring, do the best they can. We all bring our own wounds to parenting. There's just no way we can avoid it. And so our children are going to come out of childhood with some sense of trauma, some sense of wound, attachment wound. We can't be there all the time. We just can't be. We're we're not made that way. And so inner child work doesn't need to be severe trauma work really is learning to stay with our whole selves, learning to address and pay attention to all the different parts of the self that may have been cut off, rejected, neglected, and needed to be pushed aside in order to stay in a relationship during childhood. Mm -hmm. That's okay. So that's gold, what you just said, because I do think there, there is common misunderstanding of what inner child work is and that it is trauma work exclusively. I think what you're saying is that, yes, we do deal with trauma and inner child work, but it's really this idea of what you said of addressing the whole self and what you may not have gotten as a child and how that's showing up for you as an adult or as a young adult. Right, right. right. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of times what I find, and I don't know if this is the place you want to talk about this here, but I do have many clients that say, you know, I don't have an inner child. I don't need to go back to childhood. Very left brained, yes. very much in their, you know, critical thinking sense. And there's very judging and a very inner critic that's very strong in that place. And I often find that that is what was needed as protection. Right. Actually, you're speaking to me. So like, I'm feeling it so viscerally inside of me because I know that that's probably true for me. And I have probably said many times, like, can't remember, you know, being a child because I grew up fast and I was, I'm very left brain. Obviously, I'm a physician, I'm type A, you know, and was always using my critical thinking skills probably to protect myself. So I think what you just said just landed very, very deeply in my heart. And so how do you deal with that? Like, as a a person who is maybe dealing with these traumas or sort of these feelings of the things that they didn't get as a kid, and I'll take myself as an example, right? Um, How do you start to even find that inner child? Like, even before we go to what inner child work is, you know, for so many, I think you addressed a really, really important 
point, which is a lot of us don't even think that we have an inner child or like, where the hell is the inner child? Like, how do I find it? I don't, I never felt like I was able to be a child. How do we even start with this kind of work? Like, how do we find our inner child? Right. Yeah. And we start really slowly. Mm -hmm. I always meet my clients exactly where they're at. So if they come in talking about, you know, the spouse that's bothering them or the kid that's driving them crazy, then we just start there and we listen intently to what's going on there. And then there's just a really slow looking at, you know, why do you think that's tapping into something inside of you? Why is that activating? You know, really starting to probe at that very, very slowly. And it takes time. And for someone who is very intellectual, that can be very frustrating because it can, can be very, let's go solution-based. And if that's what's needed, then, then we'll do that because not everybody will be ready right the get-go, you know? And so there is like different things that we can do. There, there's journaling, you know, there's like giving books and references to read and things like that. But when I believe that someone is ready and they're able to go to that deeper level, then their time will come. The inner child is always waiting. It's always, it's always in there waiting and ready. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a situation. It takes a life situation. Yeah. Right. For it, for mm -hmm. it to really get uh, activated or for you to find yes. it. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, how did you discover doodling as a tool for inner child work? You're known as the doodle doc. So exactly. I, yeah, yeah. 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 That, that kind of came by a, as a fluke, mm -hmm. but let, let me step back a, a little bit here sure. because I have a, a daughter. I have a son and a daughter. My, my son is 29. My daughter is 26. And my daughter has a, a rare neurological disorder that causes seizures all day long, low-level seizures all day long. Her clinical seizures are controlled by medication, but it caused um, speech and language loss. And so we had to be very creative on communication. I found that those went very well with my clinical work as well. So we would write with sand, you know, we'd put out sand and we'd write with sand. There was a lot of textural things. There was a lot of drawing, um, a lot of painting, a lot of getting out in nature, dancing, listening to music, different things like that. And so there was always that throughout my, my whole life. I love creativity and brought that into my home life to try to bring language to my child who struggled to have words. And so without words, things came out very explosively. And that was throughout her whole childhood. She still struggles today. She's, she's home with us and will probably be home with us. We try to find independence, but she'll probably, she is an adult dependent child and she'll be here. And, but because of that, we got creative with that. So I didn't, I was a therapist. I did a lot of clinical work, but I did it remotely. I did trainings that way because I was needed at home. And about 2012, I came to this realization that I really didn't want to study anything anymore that didn't touch me deeply in my heart that I didn't feel impacted by. 
And so I started to learn about interpersonal neurobiology and the the importance of connecting on the deeper level and the the importance of the relationship. I'd always been a relational therapist, but really looking at the science behind it and the importance behind it. So I started studying with someone in Oregon. I'm in California, would go up there for weekends. And part of her training was to, was rest. And so we would go what we called nap time and we'd go and lie down. And at one point I had this realization because these concepts are just, well, you're, you're a medical doctor, so they probably aren't as confusing for you. But for me, they were so confusing. And she always described it takes like 50 times to hear them over and over to get them in your, in your body. So they really resonate. And so I was lying there and I said, there has to be a way that we can meet more people with this. And so I saw the vision of a graphic novel. I saw the vision of the doodles and being able to share with more people and to resonate with people's souls and hearts and inner child and inner world, uh, these concepts and in that way. So that was twofold because at that time, my son was also in college and he's an artist. And I was also trying to connect with him on where he was. And so that gave us something to talk about and and all of that and connecting on art. And he actually said to me one time, because I was stopping myself, I said, well, I have to find an artist I can't draw. And he said, no, that's not true, mom, you can draw. And so I just started doing these little doodles and it took off a life of its own. And since then, I created a little doodle book. I have some, you know, a free little class online that someone can go and take. And my my desire is, and what I found is that as people find their own little doodle person, it touches that place inside of them that helps free up their words, just like with my daughter, just like with me working through other things in my life. And really helps to tap into more of parasympathetic, help bring down the sympathetic arousal and help us to get back into a rest place. Okay. So, so many questions. So you went to this training and you said that during a, a nap time, <laughs> the rest, mm-hmm. I love that. You said that you went to this training in Oregon and it was about it was on interpersonal neurobiology. So what is that? First of all, let's just stop there for a second, just to clarify. So uh, Dr. Dan Siegel of UCLA coined the term, the interpersonal neurobiology, and it just is talking about the value of the connection of a relationship and how our energy actually resonates one to another. And we can look at the, the mirror neurons and how we can really uh, connect with each other based on that. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. So then that's really interesting because that's about connection with another human being is what I'm getting. But then you found this connection of how it can connect to yourself, your own inner child. Is that what I'm understanding from? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because when I went to study, I studied with Dr. Bonnie Badenoch up in Oregon And she actually studied under Dan Siegel. 
And I studied with her. She would do these weekend retreats. Her, her theory was very much like mine, going into attachment theory, using creativity, using art, using Santre modality to have these weekends where therapists could go and do their own work to help bring back to their clients. And so with that, it was just a space because a lot of times in this world, we don't take that space for ourselves. It's always just a giving of care and to really connect to our deeper selves, which then opens us up to connect deeper with others. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I I love that. That's so interesting in this idea of creativity, because my next question was going to be about play, you know, so how are inner child work and play connected? Because they are, I mean, they're, they're talked about differently. Again, inner child work is often, you know, thought about with trauma and play is play. And so like, how are they connected in the work that you do? Right. So let's look at like what play is. And I think that might be a big part of the roadblock that we hit when people think about inner child work and not wanting to do it because they're like, well, you know, I'm a grown up. I don't want to play, you know, that's for kids. And, but I want to argue that I believe we're playing all day long. Even if, even in our worst states, there is little bit of seeing joy, a little bit of smiling at someone, a little bit of like maybe nudging someone. Um, I remember with my clients, I, I am completely virtual now since pandemic, but with my clients, I would sit on my chair. I'd have a couch on the other side and I'd have an ottoman in the middle and I'd have clients that would put their feet up on the ottoman. And sometimes if someone would get stuck or they get a little resistant, I would just take my foot and and just, you know, tap their foot. And they would like laugh and they'd be like, what are you doing? You know, and that kind of and that's like a little moment of connection and play. So simple, but it kind of like woke up the left brain to be like, what, you know, wait a minute, you know, we're talking serious here. And in reality, no, we can go into that connected mode. It was like a reminder. No, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm here with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the theme that you're that you're bringing up over and over again, which is this is what's coming up for me, is this idea of connection and yeah. play as a way to connect with other human beings, but also how to connect with yourself and that inner yes. child specifically, but even with yourself, right? And and using play as as that vehicle or that bridge to connection. Because I do think that for so many people, especially after the pandemic, connection is is very difficult. People are finding it, you know, I know for, you know, I have two college age kids and they're telling me, well, they're both out of college now, but they're both in their 20s and they're talking about a lot of their friends who since the pandemic have had a really hard time learning how to reintegrate in, in social settings and how to connect with other people. I have friends who have little kids who are having trouble with this. And so this idea of connection is, is one, that's sort of a thread I'm seeing in this work of play and inner child work. Yes, exactly. And I'm glad you brought up children because 
they are our greatest role models. You know, to be able to look at a child, sometimes the homework that I give my clients is to actually observe a child, you know, to go for a walk by a park and look at the playground and see, because children don't have preconceived notion of what they're going to do when they get there. They might say, oh, I want to make sure I get on the swing or I want to go down the slide, but they don't, they don't have the reservation to maybe go up to someone else and ask them if they want to play. You know, when, when you go to a schoolyard, kids run out and a lot of times they might be, especially young children before all the social separations get in the way, but young children, they will just play with whoever's available, who's there with them. You know, I remember my children, my son, you know, he could take two sticks and make up a game, you know, and just to have so much freedom and creativity to allow that to happen. And that's what we're looking to be able to find again and to bring back, to go back to that deeper level. Yeah. And so the question that I have now is how do you define play? Because I do think exactly spot on for many of us, especially those of us, me included, I'm speaking for myself, who are very left brain heavy, type A personalities, logical, critical thinkers. This idea of playing seems frivolous. It seems like that's not what you're supposed to do as an adult. And quite honestly, I'm many times I'm like, I don't even know what I would do to play. I have no idea because all I can think about is what children do for playing. But even then I'm sort of like, well, what is play exactly? So my, my critical thinking mind right now is like, well, how do you define play, Trish? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And so can we redefine it? Maybe it's not the right word. Maybe it's having fun. Mm. You know, and do we need to start out as a child? No, we don't. So it's like, what is fun for you now? You know, is it is it being with your family? Is it being with your children? Is it being with a girlfriend or two? You know, if it's someone who got frozen during the pandemic and doesn't know how to really reintegrate, is it maybe texting one person? Is it going out and going for a walk or asking someone to meet just one person? Because group of people might feel way too overwhelming. The increase in anxiety and depression through pandemic is just on the rise. It's it's still on the rise. Yeah, it is really hard to to level that out right now. Yeah, and and so this definition, what you're bringing up, is really interesting. You know, maybe. The similarities, the differences between the idea of play and fun. Those are two different things. And what comes up for me is that play is like a thing you do. And fun is a feeling that you have. Am I, am I kind of on the right path there? That they're two different things related, but fun is a feeling, play is a thing you do. Yes. Can one lead to the other? Right. So can we look at what what do I, when I have that feeling of fun, what am I doing mm. with inner child work, with therapy to connect with our younger self? I often give the homework of what did you like to do when you were younger? What did you like to do that maybe was shut off, that was discouraged? That happens a lot. That was discouraged either by you know a parent, by society, by culture. 
Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And the other thing that I'm thinking about as you're saying is that, that is that many times we use the word fun so broadly, you know, everything is fun, but is it really mm-hmm. fun, right? Are we using it in the correct way? Like, oh, you know, I watched a movie that was fun. I scrolled through my phone. That was fun. But was it really Do you see what I'm saying? Like, are we really tapping into the feeling of fun and then connecting it to what we were doing that was playful or lighthearted? Because maybe that's where some of the confusion comes because we use the word all the time and it's not actually always connected with playfulness or lightheartedness or playful things. Right. No, it's not. And sometimes it can be connected to adult things. Mm-hmm. Like par- partying or <laughs> things, something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if we start with what brought you, what what do you feel like fun is? You know, what activity is that? And then go deeper into that, which, you know, we deeper into to ourselves. What brings you joy? Is that different from fun? Like, like deeper joy? Because that that's often where the inner child lives. That's where our, our wiser self lives in that joyous state. Yeah, because I think that, you know, as kids, we can go to art and creativity so sort of naturally and innately as a way to express emotions. You know, we're in school, we're taught to, you know, draw, whatever. But even doing something like you were saying with your son, he could find two sticks and make up a game. That's creativity, right? Mm -hmm. And it may have been a way for him to express emotions. I know I'm thinking about my own kids. And when they were little, they used a lot of creative expression to express their feelings, right? Why do you, why do you think, and maybe we've already covered this, but you know, I'm going to ask the question again, why do you think we lose that ability? Because if it's something that is so powerful, right, that your entire practice now is focused on the idea of creativity and inner child work, reconnecting with yourself, connecting with others, why is it that we lose that ability as kids? Because we're doing it pretty innately, most of us, in some way, we may not be drawing and painting, but we're making up games in the park or we're doing make-believe, you know, make-believe friends. My niece always had a make-believe friend or we're dressing up, you know, and doing costume play or whatever it is, right? Why do we mm-hmm. lose that as, as we get older? Yeah. Well, with attachment theory, we're always looking for ways to stay in a relationship. And so if we're feeling like the relationship is threatened, whether it's with a teacher, whether it's with a parent, whether it's with a peer, we're being criticized, we're being rejected, our work is being you know, considered silly or not good enough, we're more likely to dismiss that work and go with mainstream, especially as children to please someone else, especially like a parent or, you know, the family, you know, that that's what young children do. And so there is the rejection often of that. And especially in Western culture, uh, the arts are not as valued. Right. Yeah. And I think they're trying to, to change that, but it's still such a hard battle. There's such a box that children have to fit in. Right. And and, and art is so subjective and it's graded. I remember my own daughter. It's like, you know, 
with with clay making and it's like how is this you know how is this graded and someone else has got an a and mine got a c minus right 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 and so that gets shut off so let me let me double back a second you're talking about attachment theory and I know a little bit about attachment theory. I've studied it many years ago. Uh, and many of the listeners might you know, know a little bit about it. But could you tell us a little bit about attachment theory? Because I do think what you're bringing up is so important. And again, in the overall scheme of what we're talking about, I think understanding attachment theory and just the basics of what that is and how that affects us actually can help us move past this idea of I don't have an inner child or I don't know what my inner child is or why is it important because they're so connected, right? Mm-hmm. So so what is attachment theory exactly? Yeah, I mean, we basically learn to bond with our caregivers very early on, especially the mother in utero. And so we pick up the feeling that we're getting from the parent. Now the parent is then generationally picked it up from somewhere else and they've learned to develop their own way of relating. And so we can either be avoidant and dismissive of our feelings. We can be anxious and very hypervigilant and trying to, you know, control our feelings. Or there can be a very chaotic reaction where there's like both that can be happening. And, you know, with that, the child is trying to always stay in a relationship and it can leave a child trying to predict how the parent is going to be in that moment. Mm -hmm. It can feel very overwhelming for a child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so those, those are three main attachment styles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then that attachment style with the caregiver then predicts how your attachment style will be to other people, whether it's intimate relationship, a friendship, even people that you work with. Is that sort of the idea there? Yes. And Because we have attachments with many people, we have bits and pieces of different types of attachment styles. It's not just 100% one style. We might have different attachments for different people. So we might feel more avoidant overall or more anxious overall. But yeah, we might be able to connect like with our children. We might be able to connect with our partner you know, on a deeper level. But when stress comes, when we go into sympathetic arousal, that original attachment style might hit and we might become reactive and then we might push away or we might become very controlling with our anxiety. Yeah. So what's so interesting about what you're saying is that you mentioned that we develop our attachment styles in utero and that it's almost an energetic sort of feeling that we get from the mother, right, in the womb. And that is, you know, the whole epigenetic sort of theory of, you know, basically there is something larger, the epigenetic, the epigenome that connect, that controls our genes, right, and what gets turned on, what gets turned off. And it also starts to influence our behaviors, the way that we show up in the world, right? So it's so interesting because, you know, if I relate this back to Ayurveda, we talk about in Ayurveda that the energy body is the blueprint for the physical body and the emotional body and the mental body, right? It all starts with energy. And so what's coming up for me as you're saying this is that even inner child work attachment style is energetic at its core, at its, at its, sort of beginning is that it is an energetic phenomenon 
that then shows up in us physically. Yes. I'm so, so grateful that you brought that up because that's absolutely right. It's like when we talk about the inner child, we're talking about this feeling inside, this energy inside. We're not talking about this little formed place inside. You know, it's a stuck energy that gets stored inside. And so as we're working with our whole self, we're working to find these pockets inside and to integrate them into the whole so that we can be more of our whole self, more flowing and more free of it to express all of our feelings. Because with the, the stuckness, feelings get stuck. Shame gets stuck. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that all, and all those feelings, you know, they, they take hold in the body and then they show up as symptoms, illness, disease, right? We store all of our feelings within our body. And yes. if they don't move, if that energy doesn't move, it will cause problems, right? Right. It's going to come out somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Either, either physically, either in our relationship in a work situation, it's going to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you were mentioning when we first started our conversation that you really work with mindfulness techniques in this inner child work. So how does this all come together? So, you know, you know, inner child work, the doodling, the mindfulness, how do you bring that together for your clients and in your work? And what have you found has been really effective? So I would say my my therapy work is more so like deep somatic type of work. We really work on staying within the body, doing some breath work, and then, you know, just talk therapy, but really focusing on where do you feel it in the body? You know, what's what's happening with inside of you, making connections that way. And then adding in some gentle creativity as needed. So not the little doodle people, but just like grab a piece of paper and let's start making patterns. So what that does, if if I have a client online and they are feeling like they're stuck in their mind or they're saying, I'm just in my head today, I have thoughts that are repeating, I'll say, grab a piece of paper, let's start just making some spirals or let's make some circles and just attach them and do that for like a few minutes. What that does is it changes the the brain so that it will shift from a left focused into more of a relational. It will free to go into the body. And then we can go into the more mindful work, focusing on what's going inside. Yeah. And so that's more what happens with the creativity. Also, another way that I do the work with my clients is through collage work or art journaling and working with younger pictures. So being able to like pull up a younger picture of yourself and just to be able to spend time with that part, that who you were at that time and to see what was going on at that time. Like, what do you notice? What do you feel in your body as you look at yourself at that age? And anyone can do that. You know, they don't need to be in therapy, but if there is trauma, it might be helpful, you know, to, to get support. Yeah. And so these art journals, I was reading about that. That's a a lot of your work is creating these art journals. Can you tell us more about that? And, you know, 
what, what are they exactly? And I think, you know, maybe the question I'm asking is for the listeners is how can we use some of these techniques that you have been working with for so long? You know, if we're not working with you, Dr. Trish, or, you know, maybe we're working with a different therapist, we could bring it up with that therapist, or even if we're just at home sort of thinking, oh, you know, inner child work could help me, or this idea of, using creativity as a way to express words that I cannot put into words. I love Mm -hmm. that idea. Where can we start? So let's start with the art journals and maybe what you would suggest to listeners to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Often with trauma, there's a lack of definition of feeling words. And this can come with emotional neglect too. So, you know, with with physical trauma, with sexual abuse or, or something like that, there's an act that can be defined and talked about. With emotional neglect, there's an absence of anything. And so there's, there hasn't been like a role model to show what the connection to feeling is or what, what's supposed to be happening inside the body, what is happening inside the body and an explanation for that. So I find that many of my clients don't have a feelings vocabulary. And so sometimes what we do is we'll take a word. If they're saying, you know, I'm feeling like this burning inside my stomach, or I'm feeling like this, you know, this, well, we'll give it a color. Like, what color does that feel like? Oh, it feels like red. And so we'll start there. It's like, pull out a journal, you know, write the burning on there, you know, and then give some, pull out red you know, and then just allow yourself to just add some red to it. And then just giving some expression there, maybe getting some magazines or some random cutout of words, and then seeing what fits and adding that in. Collaging is a wonderful tool when you don't have words. And it starts to add this picture that can then represent what's going on inside. And with trauma and with emotional neglect, there often is not words. And so it can feel very, talk therapy can feel very frustrating. Yeah. And very long and a very long hour (laughs) if there's no words. Right. Right. And so the idea here is that just start sort of visually expressing whatever you're feeling inside through pictures, through colors, through doodles, scribbles, whatever it is. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. However you can, however you can put it out is, Mm -hmm. is healing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's enough at that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us about your doodling course that you have. We'll make sure that we link it in the show notes, but you know, is that, that's another resource for people to start on this path. Yeah, I mean, I have a couple of them up online and they're just little doodling courses that people can go and look at and take to be able to start to connect with their their right brain into their left, to be able to give their creativity a voice and to get back into expression. And many of my students online they do the courses and then they take it back to their own therapist. And that's been so helpful. And then they start creating their own doodle journals that they take back to therapy. And then also in my YouTube videos, I do some journaling 
and uh, people journal along with me and then they take it back into their therapy also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So I have a couple of speed round questions if that's okay. okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. So complete this sentence. The inner child is. Mm, the heart of who we are. Yes. The core. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is one myth about inner child work that we need to change? That you've needed to have severe trauma yeah. in order to do inner child work. Yeah. Inner child work is for everyone. Yeah. I, I've definitely come away from this conversation understanding that. So thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. What is one thing that you're really excited about right now? My son is getting married in a month. Oh, wonderful. Congratulations. (laughs) So there's a lot going on around that. I bet. That's wonderful. How how joyful is that? Yeah. What is one thing that you're deeply grateful about right now? The health of myself and my husband. Mm -hmm. Uh, My husband has an untreatable cancer. And so he's so grateful that he's still here 10 years later. Mm, Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So this feels like a good place for us to end our beautiful conversation together. So if I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? Mm. Oh, there's so much. I think the, the main thing is to offer patience and grace to the feelings that are arising, to make space for the feelings that have been shut off and cut off and dismissed by others or by ourselves and to allow room to be our whole selves. Mm, Yeah. Dr. Trish, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for this Mm -hmm. amazing conversation. I have learned so much from you and I really appreciate the work that you're doing. It's really important. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember... With the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.